The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. Hello, recruits. No applause needed, just a serious business. My name is Special Agent Barnes. I'm one of the special agents here. And uh, some of you, this may be your first time at either the West Pines headquarters or the Cooper City headquarters. I want to welcome you and tell you what you have gotten yourself into. You have become a recruit in a training process to turn you into a fully licensed agent. Now, the process for that is a series of trainings followed by an assignment. You, This is part four. This is... Uh, training number four tonight, uh, today you will receive assignment number four as well, which is actually the most important of all the assignments, but it is not the final assignment. That takes place on Christmas Day. Christmas Day will be the final lesson and the final assignment. If you are to become a fully licensed agent, you have to complete effectively all five of your assignments. And I would just like to say, I admire your fervor to come to this training uh, today in the midst of such a busy holiday season. Well done, give yourselves a hand. I admire that agents, future agents. Okay, that lingered a little long. No, no more applause is needed. Um, I would like to, to begin today by sharing uh, what this particular training is about, something very important for all agents. Every agent will need to know how to escape certain death. Something that all agents need to know how to do. They know how to cheat death itself. And I'd like to begin with a a story of uh, of an individual. This takes place a couple generations ago. It is a, a Welsh man who was a steel worker. I'd like to tell you about a Welsh steel worker. His name is James. I brought a slide of him. Let me go ahead and bring that up here on the screens. Uh, Here you go. That is James, the Welsh steel worker, strapping man. And uh, he had uh, children, grandchildren, and they asked him, um, they they knew who he was, of course, but one thing about this past they didn't know much about was his time he served in the military. He fought for the British in World War II, but all of his kids and grandkids were warned, don't ask grandpa about what he did in the military. He does not like to talk about what happened during World War II and and the things he saw and the things he did. So don't ask him. So it was, for a large part, a mystery. They just knew that he had served um, for, for the British World War II, but they didn't know much about what he did. And uh, they left it, but that got more interesting over the years. And that's in part because of another man that fought for the British in World War II. He was a commander for the British. He fought for the, the um, British Naval Intelligence, specifically where he served. So he was in spycraft. He was in espionage, spying on the Nazis. And when he got out of uh, World War II, he got out of the military, 
he um, was no longer retired from the military, and he became an author. And he wrote about the things that he had seen, or at least the things he wrote about were inspired about all the things he had seen in his time serving in intelligence. The man's name was Ian Fleming. Now, maybe that name sounds familiar because he's the author and creator of the most famous fictional agent, James Bond. Or is he fictional? Ian Fleming wrote, inspired by what he saw, and many people wonder, is there a real person behind some of these characters? Is there a real person behind M and Q and, and James Bond? And he would often be asked, like, is there a real James Bond from your time working in intelligence? Was there an actual James Bond? But remember, everything that he saw and witnessed is classified, it's top secret. So what he would say is, well, I got the name James Bond from an American ornithologist. I read one of his books, and I thought it was a good name. Now, if you are like me, you have no idea what an ornithologist is. An ornithologist is someone who studies birds. Now, there was indeed a, a man uh, named James Bond who wrote um, uh, about birds and was an ornithologist. Let me show you a picture of him. Probably not the full inspiration for the agent uh, James Bond. I mean, I just, no offense to you ornithologists out there, it's not known as one of the most death-defying professions, okay? There's not a lot of Hollywood blockbuster films about the adventures of the ornithologist. How would that go? I mean, we're out of birdseed, and there's only one man who can help us. Get Bond on the phone immediately. I mean, that's just not going to sell many tickets, okay? So, who actually is behind? Was there someone that is actually behind the character James Bond? Well, let me take you back to our Welsh steelworker because there's more to him than I've told you. In fact, part of it is his full name. His name is James Charles Bond. Served in World War II. And he ended up dying in 1995, and he never breathed a word about what he did in World War II, serving in the military, except for one moment to one of his grandchildren. It was his granddaughter, Jenny. And he took her by the hand, and he said, just this, believe me when I tell you, I am the real James Bond. Now, hey, that's things grandparents say. I'll probably tell that to my grandkids, okay? Like, that's just things that grandparents say. But somehow that stuck with Jenny. She didn't just laugh it off and forget about it. Maybe it was the fact that it didn't have the typical grandpa twinkle in his eye and a smile playing at the corners of his mouth. Maybe it was he said it with sincerity or intensity, like, I really need you to remember this. That was the only thing he ever said. Well, he passed away. And uh, nearly a decade later, in 2014, the World War II files got declassified, many of them. And so one of his other grandsons was so curious about his background that he went and started going through the files and sure enough, found reference to his grandfather, James Charles Bond, confirmed that he was in the military and to his shock, found out that he wasn't just fighting for the British, but that he served in intelligence as well. And even more than that, the documents that he found suggested that he had been handpicked for an elite force of six individuals to go deep behind enemy lines. 
And the person who had commanded that elite force of six was none other than the commander, Ian Fleming. Now, that family, for them, that's all they needed to hear. They're like, this is clearly, that's who our grandfather was. One of the actual inspirations for James Bond. There's probably multiple, and there's other suggestions too. In fact, there's this one Canadian special agent that was apparently a friend of Ian Fleming that has all kinds of legends about his exploits. The man's name is Biffy Dunderdale. <laughs> Maybe not a surprise they didn't pick that name, okay? Because I don't I just don't know if I can live in a world where the most famous secret agent introduces himself as this Dunderdale, Biffy Dunderdale. I just can't live in that world, okay? But here's what they did. Let me wrap up the story. Here's what they did because they didn't want this information of who their grandfather really was. They didn't want this to be lost. They wanted that to live on forever. They wanted to immortalize that truth. It just felt wrong for that truth of who their grandfather was for that to die. So they did something very, very simple. They went to his gravestone and they added three characters, just simply, 007. Let me show you a picture of his gravestone. Here it is, James Charles Bond a.k.a. 007. There's uh, something about uh, the, that family, there was something about their grandfather that they, they just couldn't, it just seemed wrong to just let that information die. Like that had to live on, that had to be immortalized, that had to be set in stone, literally, for future generations to know. And that's um, not just an impulse for, the, for that family. Man, that is an impulse for every single human. If you just trace humanity and look back and how it's expressed in different cultures, there's something that every human being, I think, down deep wrestles with, or every culture wrestles with. It's that death seems wrong. As common as it is, it just seems wrong. And life seems like it should be perpetuated. It just doesn't seem right that life should end. Now, this is a subject that the Bible writes about a lot. The Bible talks about life. In fact, it talks a lot about eternal life, like living eternally. And of all of the writers in the New Testament that talk about eternal life, the one who writes about it the most is the Apostle John. And I want you to see what John wrote about life and about the nature of eternal life, because that Man, if there's anything that applies to every single human being, it's the nature of life and the possibility of eternal life. I want you to take a look at John chapter 1 with me. If you have a Bible or Bible app, go ahead and open to John chapter 1. I'm going to pull up verse 4 here on the slide. Really simple. Look what John says about the person of Jesus. It says, in him... Jesus, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Now, this is how John opens up his gospel. Some of the other gospel writers, they open it up with um, a nativity scene, and there's Bethlehem, and there's uh, the, a baby in a manger, and there's shepherds, and there's wise men, and, and all of these things. 
John starts it differently because John is making sure we understand who Jesus is. He says Jesus is very clear right at the beginning. Jesus is God. He was God in the flesh. It was God appearing to humanity as a man. And so, man, if we're going to start at the beginning of the story, we've got to go all the way back to the beginning of time because Jesus had eternally existed, the Son of God. And he says, Jesus came to earth, and then he says this. One of the first things he says to us is, Jesus, in him was life. Jesus was the life. Now, this is the beginning of his gospel, the beginning of his his book, and this is something that he's going to play out. He's introducing a theme about life. What does he mean by that? What does he mean by Jesus is the life? Is he saying Jesus was lively, big personality, life of the party? Does he mean that Jesus lived a life as a model to other people? What does he mean by Jesus is the life? And as he plays this out through his book, the book of John, we learn two things about Jesus being the life. And the first one happens several chapters later in John chapter 10. And Jesus is telling this illustration about a shepherd with sheep. He says there's all kinds of predators that are trying to sneak in and steal the sheep. If it's not wild animals, it's thieves And the role of the shepherd is to protect the sheep, to guard the sheep, to guard the sheep, and that they are finding the right pastures, getting enough water, getting enough food, staying healthy, that they are thriving. And he tells this illustration saying that he's that shepherd that's supposed to lead the sheep. And he's talking about humanity. So he's describing humanity. And then he says this in John 10, 10, he says this, the thief comes to steal kill and destroy. But I have come, this is Jesus' words, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. This is Jesus' paradigm for humanity. He's describing humanity like sheep and there's a thief running around. And here's what the thief is doing. The thief is is trying to guide the sheep one way, all all along robbing the sheep and ultimately leading them on a path of destruction. In other words, he's describing the world like this. He says the world is kind of going on this path. There's something that is being dangled before the world. And we just instinctively start chasing after those things. And while we're chasing after those things, we're getting our pocket picked. We're getting robbed. And we're never actually getting that thing that we're chasing. And ultimately, when we get to the end, we find that we've been destroyed. Not only robbed from, stolen from all along, we get to the end and we've been destroyed. Okay, that's a pretty big statement, Jesus. You're saying that's kind of the general gist of what's happening to humanity. Well, let's play this out. What are some of the things that humans chase? One of those those things is um, money. Stuff, things. It's so commonplace, you know exactly how this goes. I don't have to convince you of it. If someone says, my life is about making as much money as possible or getting as much stuff as possible, getting the nicest cars or the nicest houses or the nicest gadgets or the nicest clothes, that is what my my life mission, whether I tell myself or not, that is what I'm after. What, What happens is that is dangled in front of that person and they spend their life trying to reach out for it. But what happens, right? It's like that mirage that's always promising 
a satisfying oasis, but it's always out of reach. It's that, that when it's dangling money and stuff, there's never enough money. There's never enough stuff. And when you get your hands on stuff, man, the clothes go out of style. The car breaks down. There's a newer gadget. There's a nicer house. There's someone who has more than, more than you. It's, it's one of those things you can never actually finally get your hands on. And all along as you're going, it ends up robbing you of satisfaction because the person that's always trying to reach for more always has their eyes on the horizon and they never actually stop and enjoy the things they really have. And so what happens? They're lied to and they're robbed from the very satisfaction that they're after. It's not just money and stuff. Um, how about pleasure? whether it's bodily pleasure, whether it's food and drink or substances or whatever it is, it's the same thing that's dangled in front of humanity. And if someone lives their life for pleasure or for comfort, they're living their life for that, the more they push into that, what happens is as they push into that object of their pleasure, it gives just enough of a burst of joy to keep them coming back but not enough to satisfy them. And how whatever the high is that it gave them, on the other side, the low is way worse. And so it keeps them on the hook. It keeps them chasing it. And here's the irony. For those that are living for pleasure of their body, the very things they indulge in are ironically, as they overindulge in those things, the very things that are destroying the body they're trying to please. And so what's Jesus saying? There's a thief. He's dangling things to go after. Stuff, money, pleasure, dangling, and just trying to get it, but in the end, it robs us and is a path that destroys us. One more, how about status, success, achievement, Recognition, fame, accolades, it's the same thing. It dangles it out in front and promises, man, this is how you will make something of your life. This is how you'll be satisfied and offers that. If I can just get that promotion, if I can just get to that achievement, if I can just get that award, if I can just get to that level, if people could just say this about me, I'll, I'll get it and I'll finally be satisfied. But as I'm clawing after it and reaching for it, the moment I get it, if I do happen to get it, there's always someone who's got something more. And there's always a new thing to chase. And if for some reason you do get to the very, very top, now you're faced with the daunting restlessness of trying to stay there as king of the hill with, because the next person's trying to come topple you. And as you're reaching for that, it's never, never enough. And as you're looking up there the entire time, the things that are really full of life you're not even present for those things, those beautiful relationships all around you, those beautiful moments because you're just trying to reach out and achieve. And so here's what Jesus is saying. Man, here's how humanity operates. Sheep. And there's a thief that's promising things. And the way that sheep often go, they just kind of go after that thing when Jesus says, but I'm the good shepherd, follow me. He says, I'm here to give you life and give you life abundantly. Now, can we just have an honest time out here for a second? 
When people think about living it up, generally, they're not talking about following Jesus. And Jesus would say that's just part of the lie. No, it's all these other things that steal, kill, and destroy. But man, following Jesus, it feels restrained, confined, like a straitjacket, like I have to give up all the things that actually give me life. It's like this. I don't know if you've ever had the, um, uh, the opportunity to go to the observation deck of a very tall building. Like maybe it's the Empire State Building or Rockefeller Center or even the Arch in St. Louis. Like any of these where you're going up dozens and dozens of stories. I've had the opportunity to do that once or twice and it's usually always the same. There's a long line because everyone wants to do it. And there's a whole lot of people and there's one tiny little elevator that they put way too many people in. And you're going really, really high. Now, I'm not generally a claustrophobic person, but the last time I did that, I get in the elevator, I'm all excited, the doors close, and I'm like, I'm gonna die. <laughs> I'm surrounded by people, I'm looking at them, they're looking at me, we're going up a very, very long place, and I'm starting to get that panicky feeling, and I can't get out, and maybe the elevator doors will never open, okay? And I'm starting to have that claustrophobic, confined feeling. So often when people think about following Jesus, all they think about is all the things that they have to give up, and they're thinking, those are all the things I'm trying to use to get life, so if I have to give all those things up to follow Jesus, it feels like I'll be in a really restricted, confined life. But you've got to confront what Jesus himself is saying. No, following Jesus is abundant living. Here's what he's not saying. He's not saying you follow Jesus and all of a sudden all your problems disappear and all your circumstances are great and you always win the lottery and all those things. He's not saying that. In fact, he actually promises something different. He says, no, but I will take you on an adventure. I mean, just maybe you're not ready to believe that yet, that following Jesus brings life, but just follow the logic here with me for a second. What actually sounds more logical? That our generation of all the generations has finally figured it out? Or that Jesus, if he's who he said he is, who's God in the flesh, is almighty God, the inventor of humanity and the observer of every single human life, every thought, word, and deed, and he's observed every human life and that he might have the best knowledge of how the human life should be lived. You want further evidence? Ask someone who's authentically following Jesus. I mean, like truly Jesus is the center of their life. They're not just dabbling. I mean, Jesus is the center of their life. If you ask them, here's what they'll tell you. They'll tell you stories like this. Man, if you knew me before I knew Jesus, I was the last person you would have expected. But in the right moment, man, I met Jesus and his love and his mercy and his compassion. And it changed me completely. Or they'll tell you, man, I was going through my life and I, you know, I was kind of a church person and I'd go every now and then, but it was really just kind of a peripheral of my life. But all of a sudden I got confronted with who Jesus is. He's God. And I'm like, whoa, I'm not even, I'm not really in this. It's all or nothing with Jesus. So I put Jesus as the center of my life. He became my savior and my king and my Lord. And I followed him with everything that I've got. And man, when I did that, I changed. Because here's what Jesus does when we follow Jesus. It's something so much more profound than changing our circumstances. He changes us. 
And what happens is all of a sudden we go through life no longer saying, what can I get? What can I get from this person and get from life? How can I get this success or this pleasure or this, or these, this money, this stuff? It's no longer how much can I get because when I realize I get Jesus, I'm so deeply satisfied, so deeply filled by his love, so, so at rest in following Jesus that I no longer live life on what I can get. I, give my, I live my life for what I can give. And so all of a sudden, you'll talk to someone and say, look, before I, before I knew Jesus versus after, before I knew Jesus, I was all after success. But after I, I knew Jesus, I didn't need that for my self-esteem. And so now all of a sudden, I can actually see the people around me as real humans and not just people to step over to get to success or use to get to success. And so ironically, it made me a better leader and a better employee. It actually made me better. I no longer live my life. What can I get from my marriage? And how come my marriage is not meeting my own expectations? Now I started living my life. How can I serve this person? And, and how can I be a part of what you're doing in this person's life? And it changed my marriage. It changed my relationship to stuff, they'll tell you. It's like before, money was something I needed to have for my joy and my self-esteem. But man, once I got it right and I was, made Jesus the center of my life, not money and stuff and things I can have, man, actually made my relationship with money actually healthy. Because now it's something I could use money, I could make wise decisions about money, and I could actually do things that brought me even more joy, like be generous to those around me who were needy. See, they'll talk about how their life has been so transformed, and rather than living a restless life of trying to get something and get to that mirage that will always elude them, when they follow Jesus, instead of a life full of selfishness, selfishness, anxiety, And restlessness, it became a, a life full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. They'll say, man, I've found the stuff that's really the beauty, beautiful things of life. How's Jesus the life? He's calling us to follow him because he will give us life abundantly. But here's the second one briefly. The very next chapter, Jesus himself says this, I am the resurrection and the life. It's not just that he leads us, leads us to abundant life in this life. He's saying, by the work that I did, you will have eternal life in heaven. Now, maybe you're one of those people that's like, look, it's just, I, I struggle to believe in heaven. It just seems, I don't know, like too crazy. I mean, it's like this cloudy place where everyone's in white robes and sitting on, on you know, clouds with harps. And it just seems like this kind of vague, it's, everything's white all the way around. And it just sounds like a cosmic padded cell, like just monotonously white. Like, why would I want to believe in that? Or maybe you say, no, it just seems like it's just too childish. It's like Candyland. Like we're all going to eventually go to Candyland. Have you ever played Candyland before? Yes, I've played a lot of Candyland, both as a child and then now um, as a parent. And um, I just to say, if you have wrapped Candyland to give to someone this Christmas, it's not too late to return it, okay? You can still return it. <laughs> Candyland requires no strategy at all. It's just the luck of flipping over cards and moving through a board that is just showing you all these things like ice cream and popsicles and candies and cupcakes and chocolates that you shouldn't be eating. So Candyland's pretty much torture. 
So some people are like, man, I just can't, I just hard for me to believe in, in, in heaven. It just seems like this cloudy place or this candy land kind of zone. It's just hard for me to believe in something like that. That's not what the Bible says about, about heaven. Think of the, how, how logical does this sound? Here's what the Bible says about heaven. He's, God says, I am going to, in the end, recreate heaven and earth so that humanity can finally experience what it is like to live no longer with pain and sorrow and grief and evil and sin and selfishness and judgment and oppression, but finally experience what my beautiful good creation was supposed to look like no longer held back. I mean, we get these little bursts of experience of what life could be, but he's like, I am going to show you life full throttle and all of its beauty for eternity. It's not less real. It'll be more real. And God is saying, I'm inviting you to that for eternity. Jesus is the way to abundant life. and He's the resurrection and the life. And here's the thing. This is a, it's an invitation to life is what John's giving us. And the reality is you could know with complete certainty today that you found life. I, I want to show you what Jesus said. I want I want to read this and I want you to read, see this written out on the screen. This is John 14, 6. Look at what it says. Jesus said to him, this is Jesus' words. Look at this. I am the way and the truth and the life. Watch this. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus' words there's only one way to be saved. It's not just being religious. It's not coming up with your own religious system. It's not just being well-meaning and fervent and good. It is only through the person of Jesus. You say, that sounds really exclusive. Here's why. Because Jesus came to earth to save us by his death. Can you think of the unbelievable irony of that? the author of life, sustainer of life, the resurrection in the life had to come to die. He died on the cross and that was the payment for our sin. If you accept that, your sins are forgiven. He rose again from the dead because our, the payment for our sins was finished. And also for any of us who put our faith in Jesus, we too will rise after we die just like Jesus did. Jesus is offering eternal life and life abundantly to you. See, this is actually um, what the whole, whole training number four is about, and it's the most important one. And the mission for you today is all about escaping certain death and the opportunity to cheat death and to find life, something that every agent has to do. And so the mission, the most important assignment for you today has to do with that. The assignment for today is to escape death. Now, this is such an important assignment that I made sure that this was kept back in our archives. I'm going to go get that now because... This is a critical assignment. I mean, everyone wants to escape death, but I mean, especially as agents, you've got to escape death altogether. And so I'm going to look. I got it back here somewhere in here. I think it's in this box. Where's the light switch? Okay, it's in here, I think, in this box. One of these papers, maybe a file. No, I think it's that one. It's right there. 
There it is, that's right. Here it is, I found it right here. Um, it's a file. All about escaping certain death, you have to be able to do that, agents, okay? And um, you can go ahead here and uh, grab the, the, uh, your assignment if you are at the Cooper City headquarters. It's such a, an important, secure assignment that we are going to be delivering that now. I'm going to invite some agents uh, forward to receive that. You agents can then pass that around. Um, go ahead, and as you get that, um, hold on to that. Of course, none of you have opened those envelopes yet, right? Because they'll explode probably. Uh, they may or may not have deactivated um, the envelope. Okay, uh, those envelopes are one per recruit, not one per family. Every single person is going to need one, one per recruit. Everyone grab one. Um, as you get them at Cooper City or get them here, you can open it. Now, just a reminder, this is assignment number four. There are five total assignments. The fifth one, the final assignment, is on Christmas Day. You are not going to want to miss that fifth assignment. Um, as you get your, uh, your envelope, go ahead and open it. I'm going to begin <clears throat> reading it now, and we'll take a minute. Here's what it says. You are needed for a special assignment. Please attend the next service, ready to train hard, take risks, and learn new skills in order to complete your mission. Again, that next service is an online service on Christmas Day. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to complete the self-assessment below. What I actually want you to do is grab a pen. This is an assignment you can complete right here, right now. I want you to grab a pen and I want you to take a minute, and I want you to check off one of these following options that you feel like best represents where you're at right now. Spiritually, I am, and here's why this is important. It's a life or death, what we're talking about. Spiritually, I'm just starting out. Maybe some of you would say, spiritually, I just still have lots of questions. Maybe you'd say, spiritually, I know Jesus, but I'm not sure that I'm saved. Maybe you'd say, today, I want to put my faith in Jesus for the first time. I'm ready. I'm ready to do that. I'm ready to say to Jesus, I believe, and to take that step of faith. Maybe you're ready to do that today. Maybe you say, I, I want to be baptized. Maybe you've been following after Jesus, and that's become a real personal decision for you, and you want to take that step and be baptized. Or lastly, maybe you say, no, I, I am following after Jesus. I have an active relationship with Jesus. And you say that Jesus is not just someone, I just don't just dabble spiritually. No, Jesus is the center of my life. I want you to take a moment now, just think through that um, and check off one of those boxes. Now at the bottom, there's a space that you can leave your name and a preferred way to be contacted. Now you don't need to do this, but here's why I would um, ask that you would consider doing that. Um, at the end, you can close it. Uh, you can, uh, after you're done, you can, you can fold it up. And there's going to be people at, uh, at the doors, at both headquarters, that you can just put it folded up in that place. And if you have questions, we'll contact you. If you just want someone to talk to about it and find out more, we would love to follow up with you and ask some questions, to answer some questions. If you are taking that step and you say, today's the day, I actually want to put my faith in Jesus. I want to find life. 
I, I want to put my faith in Jesus and I want to know for sure I'll spend eternity in heaven. If you want to do that, we would love to contact you because we're going to get a Bible in your hand. So check that off and on your way out, you can put that. There'll be uh, people by each door. You can put that in that basket. Here's why this is so important. One final verse. Let me just read this to you in my Bible. It's out of 1 John 5. Here, just listen to this. Here's what it says. And this is the testimony. John's writing this in one of his letters. That God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever, listen, whoever has the, the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God that you may know that you have eternal life Heaven is not something that you are just reduced to just wishing is true for you. Knowing whether or not you're on the right path or you're doing the right thing is not just something that you just have to just wish that you're on the right path, just hope you're on the right path. No, John is saying you can know. It boils down to this. It's not getting more religious. It's not getting more spiritual. It's not coming to church more. It just starts with this very simple thing. Do you have the Son, Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ, is he the center of your life? Put your faith in him. Believe in Jesus. Believe that he died and rose again to save you. And believe that he is your Lord and King and follow after him. I want to invite you to do that with me today. Would everyone just bow your head and close your eyes? I want to lead you in just a simple prayer, whether you're here watching online or you're at, in Cooper City, I just want to lead you in a very simple prayer. Is that you today? Say, look, today's the day. I believe, I believe, you say. Today's the day I believe. I believe that Jesus died to save me. And I believe he's God and Lord and King. So I'm going to follow him. Today I follow Jesus. And you're ready to take that faith step. You'll find life, abundant life, now and even more so into eternity. Put your faith in Jesus today. Take a second, consider, is that the step that you're feeling God nudge you to take today? If that is, it just begins with a simple prayer of surrender. Let me lead you in that prayer. What I want you to do is say these words silently to God because he hears you. Say it right to Jesus, just in your heart, just say this to Jesus. Jesus, I believe. I believe that you died to save me. I believe that you came to give me eternal life. I follow after you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, church family, I believe there are people here today that put their faith in Jesus for the first time. Can we celebrate that together? Can we just encourage them? If that was you, go ahead and fill that out on that assignment page. Just let us know so we can celebrate with you and put a Bible in your hands. If you're watching online, go to cityrev.org faith. 
there's a couple questions so that we can mail you a Bible. Church family, we're gonna close today with a song celebrating Jesus, lifting up the name of Jesus, reminding ourselves he is the one who brought us life. Where would we be without Jesus? He is the whole reason, not just for the season, he's the reason for every single day he is the center. So let's end our time together worshiping and celebrating him. Would you stand with me as we close? Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.